0: Harba is biased.
1: I don't believe that for a second. There's some semantics around the the use of staging server, right?
0: Are you going down the whole pets versus cattle thing?
1: I'm going down the, the pets versus cattle thing, yeah. If we have a security vulnerability, you know, are we gonna remember the staging box? Who knows? If you're doing feature flags properly, the concept of really having a staging server doesn't make that much sense.
0: The staging server is dead. Long live the staging server. Hi, I'm
1: Paul Bigger, founder of Circle CI.
0: I'm Edith Harba, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly.
1: And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development.
0: You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast.
1: The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. On this episode of To Be Continuous, we talk about Edith's article about killing the staging server. So today we're going to talk about a post that Edith wrote on ReadWrite Web. ReadWrite. Yeah, the post was about the death of staging servers. Can you can you give us a little bit of, a, of an introduction to what the post is? Because I think we're going to talk about it quite a bit.
0: Sure, Paul. Uh, happy to. Uh, and by the way, uh, did you read it yourself?
1: I, I confess, I may have um, skimmed it a little more than than read it.
0: Yeah. Um, so I'll I'll give you the summary, and then we'll. Talk about, it and then you should go read, it and then we'll talk about it again. Right. So the article is an outgrowth from what I was seeing with LaunchDarkly, um, my company. So uh, already, one of the comments I saw on it is, and I, I like this comment because they talked about me in the third person. They said, "Harba is biased." But, right. I would say so. But by the way, she does have a good point. So I'll state up front: Yes, I'm very biased. Right. Uh, right, right. I make my company makes a platform to manage feature flags. So my bias, though, is I've seen what our customers are doing. And so the reason why I wrote the article is that this, this was a natural extension to the way I saw our customers using uh, feature flagging.
1: So were, were your customers using your product wrong, or were, was there a thing that was happening that, that you're talking about?
0: So feature flagging at its most basic is very simple. It's just an if-then statement. You, know, you, don't, you don't need a launch darkly or any sort of system to manage that. You could just put a conditional in your code. What happens after that is you get more sophisticated and you want to have some sort of dashboard where you can see the different feature flags that are visible and up-level them. Um, not even just to the business side, but even amongst the various developers. You, know, you want to have a central place where, sure. where you can manage. I mean, And then, so that, that was kind of our 1.0, was just you can manage feature flags. The next thing that our customers were asking for on a roadmap was support for environments. That they wanted to be able to have feature flags on dev, QA, staging, production, have visibility all in one place.
1: I'm a little confused when you say this, because surely an environment is just a flag.
0: Yes. Go on.
1: I mean, it, it, it seems like like you could say, you know, have, have another flag that, that is a string that is like staging or production or dev or, or whatever that, that you you know put features or that, that you flag features on.
0: And that's basically what Launch Jerkly is doing. So right, for right, us right, right. us, we just have another flag of right. OK. So each environment gets an API key.
1: Okay, so so again, for, for, forgive ignorance on this. Why why not use the the existing flag or what, what was what was missing from the existing feature flag infrastructure that meant environments had to be a separate like top level or, or first class feature?
0: It was uh, so now we're getting a little meta. Um, so the reason why people liked using LaunchDarkly is because they could get then a consolidated view of all their feature flags, mm-hmm. um, so that they could not just have these floating around a config file for each machine, but have a roll up of what flags are turned on and off for different environments. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that the ability to manage the flags in different environments.
1: Gotcha. So so they wanted a view that that applied to like just their environment.
0: Uh well to to see per environment what was turned on and off. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so basically the the they were following a, a software lifecycle where you know you had dev people working on their developer boxes, pushing to QA, mm-hmm. pushing to staging, then pushing to production.
1: Gotcha. When Features moved from one to the other. Was was there a human promoting these, or was was there like an API call promoting these?
0: At this point, it's mainly human. I can see down the line that it would just be an API. Gotcha. Um, and even beyond that, so then the next thing people asked for is once they got more people on board, launched darkly, were using more feature flags, is they wanted the ability to have lockdown of different flags in different environments.
1: Lockdown like people
0: can't change the flags. So they wanted QA to have rights and QA to change some flags, but not in production.
1: I see. okay. yeah.
0: Then after that, the natural step then is like, okay, if you have a feature flagging system where you can control at any step who sees permissions, who who gets to see what? Why do you really have a separate QA staging and production box? Like why not just collapse all this and manage visibility with a feature flag itself?
1: Sure. That makes perfect sense. It's like all the feature flags provide the primitives on which you can build the things that 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 they want. Yeah, right.
0: Oh, and and more. I the point I made in the article is that people use this abstraction of a QA and a staging environment to basically try to encapsulate a change. Mm-hmm. Um. So that that was the original intent, and at the time it, w- it was very good because the alternative was just to push everything to production and have everything break. Right, right, right. But if you're actually doing your, purchase- you doing
1: feature flags properly then the, the the concept of really having a staging server isn't it doesn't make that much sense because you're not you're not pushing a feature to the staging server, you're pushing a feature to production and then slow rolling it to people and, and really having it in the staging server doesn't, doesn't make that much sense. Yeah.
0: Is that kind of the point? Yeah, so that was the title of the article, Kill mm-hmm. the stage, kill the Staging Server. Gotcha.
1: This might be a good point uh, to, to actually stop and read the article.
0: Yeah, I'd appreciate that. All right, all right.
1: we're, we're, we're going to take a what's well, going to appear to be a, like a 10 second break, but it's actually going to be a five minute break while I read the article and I recommend you press pause and, and read the article yourselves right now.
0: So welcome back. Paulo has been furiously whiteboarding, um, and I, I, I'd love to hear uh, his thoughts now.
1: Yeah, so so good article. I uh, really liked it. And the the first thing that, that kind of came to mind was, was the concept of names. So the idea of having multiple environments is kind of a weird one in 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 particular. So if, if you imagine that you have um you know. No. Service-oriented architecture, and it's got like six machines or something yep. like that, or it's got twenty machines or, or or whatever. The idea that that you can't spin up a new instance of it is is kind of a little bit odd. Yep. So you know what what people have done historically, and 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 this you know goes back to when when things ran on machines at particular ports or. or 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 whatever, um, was everything had a name? Yep. Uh, it had a it had a DNS name or it had a you know a, a staging name. And if you look in like you know Rails configuration files, there's there's a production name, there's a staging yep. name, there's a dev name. There's different environment variables for, for all these. But it doesn't actually really make sense to have a name because a, a name implies there there is one of them.
0: Well, this this goes back. Are you are you going down the whole pets versus cattle thing? I'm going down the the, the pets versus cattle
1: thing. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. If you're naming your your pets then you, you you can't just you know suddenly get six of them you can't suddenly kill them you you know but what you really want is is cattle so like a staging server is not uh, I mean a staging server is a pet yeah and and a very very important pet that that everybody loves and and everyone plays with and it gets a little bit confused as a result of it
0: <laughs> so
1: I, and the analogy went, went I'm, I'm not sure
0: if you're agreeing with with me or disagree with me so uh <laughs> we'll continue because I It'd be
1: great if you disagreed, but I would also enjoy it if you agreed. If that analogy holds, then what you're suggesting is that we kill the chair's family pet.
0: Well, you know, you know, sometimes oh, I can't even go there.
1: <laughs> well, the analogy breaks down, but uh, let, let, let's say it, it's um, it's probably for the best if that pet is uh, spend some time on the on the farm.
0: <laughs> went for went for a long walk.
1: Right, right. Um, so, obviously, production is is an actual thing that that needs a name. It is is a unique environment. But nothing else is really unique
0: environments. Yeah. And to, to, to fast forward, I mean, I think so. I got a lot of feedback on the article, which I loved because that's kind of why I wrote it to sure. get feedback. I think there are cases where you do want to not go directly from a developer to production. I think there are many cases where you want to have other places to test them. I, I do agree with this, yes. I, I think a lot of the cases though of a forced march of we go from this step to this step to this step to production right. is actually very harmful when if sure. you just push stuff much quicker and perhaps skip some of these steps, right, you can so, get the feedback you want directly.
1: So what what, what we did at Circle, and initially we, we had a staging environment right, and, and we would occasionally use the staging environment if, if we wanted to test something that wasn't that easy to write unit tests for or, or, or something along those lines. And usually for us, that was stuff around LXC or, or stuff around starting Amazon boxes, things things that you didn't really do that often, and that either had an expense or, or had a weird architectural thing where you, where you couldn't just do it in software and practice it in software. So I think that that there is that need, right? You know, occasionally you have things where it's not tested well enough, so you need to put it up somewhere where you know a human validates to to the best of their knowledge that it actually works, um, and and you could put that in your I was going to say you could run it on VMs or that sort of thing, but no. Like the the whole point of of the staging server in in that situation is that it's something which isn't really that easy to put into VMs or or yep. whatever. The other kind of use case that you see is where you don't want to be running stuff on live production databases and you can't get a copy too quickly. Yep. So you see. You see people like Heroku trying to trying to build products that, that avoid the need for that so with, with Heroku they have a new you know you can take a you can take a copy of a database you can have a view or a read-only view on a database that's a copy on write in some way or, or, or whatever so that you don't actually need you don't need a separate staging environment or a separate copy or a separate staging database or, or, or whatever. But yeah, if if everything is is well tested, if if everything works in software, then there's there's really no need for staging environment. So that says to me that a staging environment is a sort of a, a, a yellow flag somewhere that that you know it shouldn't really exist. But sometimes you might need it.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's. I, I actually want to write a follow up article now of um, you know kill the um, the staging server is dead. Long live the staging server, <laughs> because I I do think that there is. Well, there are use cases where you don't want to push to prod. I do, however, think people.
1: What what are the use cases where you don't want to push to prod?
0: Um, So, what I heard from uh, Sean Burns, our advisor, is if you're testing a really deep infrastructure change, for example, switching some batch processing.
1: Mm, If you're, yeah, no, I I don't believe that for a second. All right. Yeah. Um, So if you're testing a really deep infrastructural change. So there's kind of two ways to do that that deep infrastructural change. One of them is to say we're going to have these machines over here, we're going to have these machines over here, all right? And that that's that's the that's the quarterly release cycle thing. It's it's the you know um, we're taking a big big risk and all hands on deck and and whatever. The, the way that you want to be releasing that sort of thing is, is that you want to have it you know, in the code base. You yep. want to have an, an if statement, a feature flag that, that controls how much of the data goes one way or the other and you, you know, duplicate the data or you,
0: well, I, you
1: know, put, put 1% of it through or, or, or whatever.
0: I think the key you said there is to duplicate or have some fail safe. Um, I mean, The biggest risk you run with doing this is data loss, which is awful. If you're cavalier about how you do this, well, I mean, I, you, I don't think you, data
1: loss is, is is the worst thing. Like the, the worst thing is your whole damn service goes down.
0: Well, the the worst thing is your whole damn service goes down, and you lose a sure. day's worth of somebody's data. Great, I think great, people yeah. are actually more forgiving of a five minute flip than you losing, like a lot of their, fair, their fair. analytics. So his point was, so he had been uh, at Flurry, was that you know we basically cannot afford to lose people's data. Mm-hmm. So right. If, so it would, it
1: would be ludicrous, then, in my mind, to create a whole brand new infrastructural thing where you're going to do some kind of like overnight or immediate change or wait for downtime change or something like if if the data's all live you can't afford to have we're going to switch over and see if it works yeah regardless of how well it's tested like it's 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 ludicrous
0: Yeah, I mean, so that was uh, now I'm coming back around to my article. I mean, that was the point I was making. People think that they are reducing risk by doing all this test and staging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But in
1: fact, they're they're increasing risk. Yeah, that like you you think you're increase you think you're. I mean, the whole point of continuous delivery is that by having a harsh crossover between one thing and another thing, you you increase risk even though you think you're you're decreasing risk.
0: Yeah. So Kent Beck wrote a really good article about reversibility. Okay. So he's at Facebook now um, but he said everything at Facebook is reversible. Interesting. And that this actually makes you much less risky cuz right, you're right, like right, right, right. okay, we make these risky risky changes
1: but they're reversible so it's right.
0: Yeah. versus the the more the cutover as I said and I called it in the article waterfall deployments. Right.
1: right. I mean the, I think that's a really good way of, of thinking about it. It's and it, it it ties it to a name that everybody knows is bad.
0: Well, I was a deliberate it was yeah, a deliberate you know, good, good, good choice. Um,
1: so the the agile deployments then are the ones where it's you know happens seamlessly and you can go back and forth and change the requirements and, and whatever else.
0: Yeah, I mean, so 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 that was Sean's example number one was well, what if it's a really risky backend change? And he had some good examples of his from his own career.
1: Did he have any any examples that that I would agree with? <laughs>
0: Well, a priori, without hearing them, I don't know if you're going to agree or disagree. Another thing people brought up was, it just seems very risky to people. It seems to increase risk, because I think they're used to thinking of staging server as a safe harbor.
1: I think there's, there's some semantics around the, the use of staging server, right? You very often want to have a complete copy of your environment that you can test against. Yep. Right? Right? Um, so is that a staging server or is that, you know, where 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 you type, I don't know, Docker up, you know, new environment and then you you run your testing on this whole brand new infrastructure that has never been touched by anything before?
0: Yeah, and, and um and, and the critique I made in the article is I think people do that a lot and they expend a lot of energy testing there, but these are artificial test cases.
1: So I guess there's there's two things, All right? So one, yes, the if if you spin up a separate environment, you are getting an artificial test case. But often, often that's an actual useful artificial test case. For example, you want to do a, a load test.
0: So that was Sean's other example. Okay. So Sean's other example, and uh, by the way, I think Sean is great. He's an advisor of a company. a okay. Brilliant guy. I
1: certainly wasn't wasn't saying anything. But any I disagree to with that. him on
0: some points. Um, he said he would do load testing to the point of failure.
1: Okay. So. The, the distinction that I was trying to draw there between between the staging server and another another environment that that, that you can spin up, why is staging special? All right? Imagine that you're doing a load test and someone else is also doing a load test on the staging server at, at the same time and you get the wrong results. Or someone else is fiddling with the staging server or the staging environment or the staging data center or whatever the hell it is. Everyone should have unique environments for doing this sort of testing and you should have everything in a Docker, Kubernetes... <laughs> Um, something it's, magic. It's the future, dude. It exactly something something that that that's the future. Um, and you, you you type the one command that gives you your own unique environment, and you run your load test on it, and then you kill it. That. And instead of costing thirty thousand dollars, it costs it costs three hundred dollars.
0: Yeah, so that was actually the original idea for LaunchDarkly Darkly was a company called uh, Continuous .ly, continuously, which was exactly that that we would have the ability to do push button spin ups of environments.
1: Good thing you didn't do that.
0: Well, why not?
1: Because Docker would have killed you.
0: <laughs> we didn't do it because it's just the tooling wasn't in place when we were thinking about this idea. Right, right, right. But conceptually we conceptually John and I both really knew that this was very useful.
1: Right. Well, I mean, uh, imagine if if the tooling had been in place if Docker had just started and then you started building this and you could have been a, a cheap AccuHire for for Docker at some point down the line.
0: Well, Paul, you can't AB test life.
1: So, load testing, what what, what, what were Sean's other examples? That these are
0: Load testing and infrastructure. And okay. um,
1: others I've heard. So, go- the, the infrastructure thing, I just don't buy at
0: all. Um, the load testing, I agree. You don't want to load test to failure in production. I'd say the greater risk I see, and I've seen this from uh, people who've come to launch darkly because um, they load test and staging, they're very happy. Yeah. They push it to production without a feature flag.
1: Oh. And, everything that we're talking about here is risk yep. right and you can do something in staging to reduce risk right you you, you get more information about you know how many um, hits per second it's this right. thing can really you know can, can really handle um you and you get more confidence and and, and the risk goes down but you know, that you, you if, if you test something in staging, you still haven't reduced the risk to, to nothing. Yeah, right? so you still need a feature flag when you when you roll it out to production.
0: Well, I'm very biased in this matter. I
1: mean I'm very biased in this matter as well, in in the sense that I don't want people to write shitty software or services that we rely on to go down because people think that a staging server is a good enough test to, to reduce the risk when, when you still have risk at the end of it.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. Um, I think I'm not advocating for willy nilly coding and just pushing everything immediately. I'm just saying that you can't really test something unless it's in production.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to imagine a situation in which when you run something on a staging server, you have absolute confidence that it's going to work. And, and if, I, if you can't get absolute confidence, then you still have to have feature flags or, or, or whatever. You still have to be able to slow roll it in production. And then the, 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 Advantage that you think that you're getting from the staging server is, you know, over feature flags. I, mean, I guess the advantage of the staging server is that you don't need feature flags. You don't need to test in production, and you 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 you've lost that benefit then.
0: Yeah, and then you've added all these other costs.
1: Right, right, right. I mean, the, the cost of saving, staging server is insane. When we had staging servers, and I, I think we we've moved to per developer environments that you can create or destroy. But when when we had Staging environments was like—is anyone using this? Nobody you know, has has anyone done a database dump into this staging environment recently? And then with the database dump, there's, there's the horrible thing of trying to make sure that that the data that's in it is you know doesn't have any secrets in it, <sighs> and it's a complete nightmare. And,
0: you know, it's a nightmare. Like you're spending so much time to replicate production, right? And then nobody—yeah, you're,
1: you're fake replicating production.
0: You're fake replicating. Nobody wants to do it because they know right. it's going to get blown away. Yeah. Like so so like yep. you know everybody's been burned developed yep. like it's like oh I'll get gonna... so so here's here's one place that that I would
1: say a staging server is useful but again it's not it's not a staging server it's a staging environment or staging set or you know, when you're doing data migrations yeah when you're doing very big data migrations that's something that unless you have some sort of uh, immutable data what's the name of it like lambda architecture or you yep. know wh- whatever those things are where, where you never actually uh, overwrite data. In that case, you want to make sure that 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 the migration goes well. And so, what are you going to do? You, I mean, you could theoretically say, okay, we're going to take a copy of the data into the staging server. We're going to run the thing. But really, what we're talking about here is you want to take a copy of the data somewhere and run it onto it. And it doesn't matter that there's a staging server involved, or that these the staging servers involved, or these staging environments is involved. What matters is you have something, and you could call it, you know, data migration the, the twelve of Paul's test.
0: Yeah, I mean, I put it more that you wanna, you wanna. Um, maybe I should bring back the word sandbox.
1: Mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, a sandbox is is a better term than environment because environment implies a named thing, right? And if instead you say, "Oh, we're gonna run this in a sandbox," it kind of implies that you know that you've got a new thing that that no one else is, is interfering with or touching.
0: Oh, and also that it's temporary, that it's gonna get right, stomped yeah, yeah, on, yeah, yeah, like because yeah. a sandbox is this environment.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know it's going to get rained on. People are going to rake the sand out. So,
1: so one thing um, when I was when I was reading through your, your article that that, that, that they, came. Thank you, Paul. Another thing that that that, that came to me was um, different teams have have different requirements, right? Absolutely. So, so, so you were talking about the QA team and, and and so on. So when you have different environments, what you get is teams are protected from other teams. So you have a staging environment, and maybe that's for the developers. You have a QA environment that that's for the QA team, and they you know the qa team doesn't need to talk to the to the application developers or whatever it just needs to talk to the ops team but again this is a thing where the you know someone on qa could just have their own environment or just spin up this environment for for 10 minutes and you know spin it down at the end i don't see any advantage to having you know an actual staging environment
0: and then there's a the further perversion which i saw which is um somebody would want early access to a feature so like you know, I would, I would do more if you're doing any sort of sales and somebody wants to see an early feature, then yep. you give them access to QA and then all of a sudden everything goes sideways.
1: Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that seems like a complete nightmare.
0: Well, because there's somebody who really wants to see something early and you yeah. give them access to a really sloppy environment. Yeah. And then there's all these other issues. Then all of a sudden you, you get emails like, hey, nobody touched the QA box because we're doing a demo.
1: Uh, right. We, we had a stage where our staging environment was Googleable. Oh. I mean, it was it was fine because like it was you know it, it's the same code base. It's it's got the same security protections and, and and that sort of thing. But our our docs linked into the staging environment, which were you know how, how often did we update the staging environment so they were out of date and whatever. And so we, it was important, obviously, to get that out of out of Google.
0: Yeah, it's just a nice. I talked about the article about how when you try to have a separate beta server.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. Similar concept there except you can't it's harder to tell google not to go to the actually i suppose it is a robot tell no, yeah, yeah yeah never mind. That's pretty easy you just yeah. put
0: it in a text so paul i'm really interested to hear about circle ci and why you transitioned to not having a staging server
1: well so the the major thing well, actually the, the, there was a couple of major things so the staging server was one server right yep. because we didn't want to be running all these we use really expensive boxes so so we didn't want to have 10 of them that were sitting idle doing nothing right we wanted one of them and when we had a staging environment, it was largely kind of you know one or two people using it, and they'd coordinate. And then when we started having more people, you know, whose turn was it to to use the staging box, and who's responsible for it? What what software was on it? Like who, if we have a security vulnerability, you know, are we going to remember the staging box? Yep. I mean, we should, but like, who knows?
0: Yeah, there's just all these issues that just start right. adding up.
1: Yeah. So instead, we we started having per developer um staging boxes and then we added tooling as well. We we would have the the per developer boxes w- would appear in our, you know, standard fleet management stuff. So we'd be able to kill if we had security issue or something like that, we'd just kill all the dev boxes. Yeah, like cattle. Right? Yeah, ex- exactly. They 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 were all cattle and if you wanted another dev thing that, you know, there was a single command that you run and it would come up. So the reason that we have Per dev environment, or the reason that we had a staging environment was that we had some stuff that was really tough to to test, and in particular, you know, we 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 have a bunch of so Circle works by having a big big Amazon box, um, and then splitting it up into ten or twelve or fifteen or whatever it is containers like LXE containers, and then there's fleet management stuff that that runs across a set of boxes that that does it, and so it was it was kind of tough to test that in production. Right. It was if, if we wanted to, you know, test does the new thing, you know, destroy our queuing mechanism or or something like that. It was it was tough to test that something that ran across multiple multiple boxes in the fleet or whatever. And then the other thing that that was tough is is stuff that touched LXC. So our testing environment, you know, obviously we tested Circle on Circle, but you couldn't run LXC tests within the the Circle environment.
0: Go ahead. Go on. Go on. You, you
1: seem like you have a like you have a joke to make here.
0: Uh, No, I. It was just
1: no, 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 no snark. It seems like you're really holding it in. (laughs) I'll tell you later, Paul. Okay, we we couldn't test LXC stuff, and we couldn't test fleet level stuff. And so, on the staging environment, we still couldn't test fleet level stuff because it was just one box. And then we also we could test LXC stuff. And there wasn't a very good solution for testing Alexi stuff. We didn't have like mocks or stubs for Alexi for call. We did, but we kind of didn't. So we, we 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 had a bunch of stuff. We we had some typed closure things where we had more statically typed things to you know for those kind of namespaces. And then we had the ability, you know, if you're really going to mess with this, let's start a staging server. Let's run a bunch of things and, and make sure that it, that it still works. And so it gave us a little bit of confidence that you know the code did what it what it was supposed to do.
0: What were some of your issues with the transition? There really weren't any
1: issues with the transition because we didn't. It's not like we got rid of a staging server when we were using it. You know, We'd use the staging server sporadically, and then we switched to a per dev environment. So we just started using the dev
0: environment, and then staging went off and died. Oh. Yeah. Did, did you it, was, ever- it was taken out back and, and shot. <laughs> Did you ever have a deliberate decision like we're going to stop using it or was it just more like a dwindling?
1: I mean, it was it was one of those things where like for a couple of weeks people are going, "Oh, the staging server is a nightmare. The staging server is a nightmare. We really should have pro dev things." And so like, you know, someone did a little bit of the work to get enough of it working for them and then sooner or later, you know, no one's using the, the staging server.
0: Yeah, I'd say um, so I was going to make a joke and say that I think saving, staging servers are technical debt, but they're much more than technical debt. They're actual real money. I mean, they're real money debt.
1: They're security debt. They're, they're all they're all sorts of debt.
0: Yeah, I mean, can you talk about the security debt?
1: Well, it's 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 just what I had. What I said a few minutes ago. If you have a vulnerability, which everyone has all the time, and you take care of it, and you forget to fix your staging server, it's another you know attack vector.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's, just um, it, it's ironic that something I keep saying this that uh, something that's supposed to reduce risk, right, and you know, save save effort is actually this huge yeah. time sink.
1: So, um, someone was telling me about the the Salesforce data centers and and you know, machine models and that sort of thing. And so, they they have a new release every quarter. Or I think it's every quarter. But for every quarter, what they do is that they, they, there's a new data center and they run the code in the new data center in parallel to the you know to the existing stuff. And then they you know migrate one data center over from the old code to the new code at at a time. And this just seems like the craziest fucking shit I've ever heard. (laughs) It's like who who would think that this is a way to deliver software and especially for like the pioneer in SaaS? Like it's it's insanity.
0: Well, it's waterfall
1: deployment. It's it is waterfall deployment. It's it's pure waterfall. And you know, fair enough, they started in two thousand and they're a big company now and they have all these enterprise customers who have all these enterprise requirements, but like, I mean, I would not like to work there on that environment.
0: Yeah. I mean, so my real hope is so I I wrote the article to be provocative. I I think there are many cases where people should keep using this existing workflow, but I hope it's the same sort of case as what you just said that if you're using feature flags effectively, at some point you look at what's happening, you're like, hey, this is just, we could shrink this, we can move this quicker. If
1: you have a staging environment, there's a reason that you have a staging environment, right? Yep. And if there's no reason you have a staging environment, and you could just use feature flags, well, you can kill it right now. But but there's some reason that you you are holding on to your staging environment. Maybe it's a part of your code base that you can't test. Maybe it's something that you need to load balance. Maybe it's something along those lines. And I think you know, the obvious thing for people who have a staging environment is you know make it so that you could have any environment, right? Don't don't feel the need to claim the staging environment. Just you know kill the concept. Make it something that you can spin up immediately over there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I go. I go back to. I, I loved it when Kevin from Microsoft was our guest um, when he was talking about slimming down their the release process. You know, and he basically did the the Kanban style of why, right? Like, why do we have a staging server to reduce risk? Okay, is it actually reducing risk? Right, right, right. Or uh, why do we have a staging server? Is it to give certain customers early access? Right. Okay, could we do that on production? Right.
1: Let's make a feature over there that, 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 that does that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Generally, there'll be some risky aspect that has to be had in a staging server or in, so that has to be had in a staging environment. Then you get to the things where they actually need a staging server. right? So you've got, you've got one copy of that piece of hardware that you need, or you've got, you, you've got a thing where you actually need one staging server. Maybe there's, there's access controls that you can't deal with. And I'm not saying that those things will go away, but they're probably not very good things to have organizationally.
0: Yeah, I really like the word sandbox. The more I think about it, yeah. I guess in this world, how closely do you think the data set should match between this sandbox and production? And I guess it depends on what you're trying to test.
1: Right, right. One of the things that that we can do that works really well. So our, our front end is a is a single page JavaScript app, and you can have a single page JavaScript app running on your dev machine that connects to the production APIs, um, and so you can just test in production. You can just test. Yeah. It's all the same security controls, right? So you're, you're, you're just hitting the API. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I think the answer to your question is that there's there's really not very much that you need a copy of the data that you need to format in a certain way. Um, if you're doing a migration, yes, run the migration. You know, have a practice run. You know, whatever it is you think can can give you more confidence. But generally, you know, there's there's not many things where you need an actual copy sitting around on some server for someone to break into uh, while you're not paying attention to it.
0: Well well, let's get into the nitty gritty then. Um, so at CircleCI you have all your developers. Do mm-hmm. they all merge directly in or what's your exact flow then? I
1: mean the, the, there's pull requests and, and then you merge directly in. And the, there's a bunch of different services and, and we slow roll both code so we, we, we can roll back both the the code base that goes out and we can also roll back you know we, well we have feature flags for 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 the rest of it so we generally put things out with feature flags on them if they if there's any sort of risk at all and if there's no risk then you know they'll go straight out and obviously sometimes we get that wrong
0: as usual Paul we we agree um, yeah well
1: it, I mean there's I feel that there's something about agreeing that that shows like it's a there's really A lot of best practices around doing continuous delivery, and I don't think that there's a whole lot of discussion around, or that 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 there's a whole lot of disagreement to be had about them.
0: Well, so the the one other critique I heard was um, that I wanted to get rid of QA, and I I actually don't feel like I'm that I was advocating that at all.
1: That you want to fire the QA developers? Yeah, that,
0: that was the it was like oh this gets rid of all QA developers. I'm like no, this assumes that actually you have very good QA. Yeah, I mean, QA seems like an orthogonal
1: concern. Like, can, can you explain more? So, you might be one of these developers that that believes in test driven development and, and the developers write all the tests and and you know that there's no QA at all, right? Uh, or you might be one of these these people who believe that having a QA team provides a valuable thing and and you know you can't test everything and QA, you know, goes and uses the the things in production or distills or reproduces test cases from support or you know what whatever whatever QA does. But that just seems entirely orthogonal from you know how you do your production environment. It's not orthogonal if you inject QA as a step before something goes out, but hopefully you don't do that.
0: Yeah, I I actually agree. I think it more depends on how a given organization thinks about the world. Right. And we, we've talked about this before, but just um how much risk you want to take before anybody else sees it. Right,
1: right. And so the 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 idea of having you know QA as a step but that 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 the software has to go through. I think it comes from a good place. And it comes from a place that's like, oh yeah, we, we need all this testing to, to to make sure that it validates. But I think it's a crutch. Um, and I think it's 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 not a particularly good crutch because you can't manually test all the things that, that, you know, could go wrong, that might go wrong. I really liked the way that Mozilla did QA. So it had it had its its staging channel or its canary channel, or whatever you know. That was nightlies that went out to like a million people, and then there was um, pre-release that, that went out to I don't know forty million people or something like that, and then there was the rest of it that went out to four hundred million people. And the you know developers would would push straight to trunk, yeah. After after a peer review and and or code review and and all that sort of thing, um and and QA was there as uh, you know that the, they had all the environments and all the machines of all the different kinds that were supported. So if you couldn't track something down, there was the availability to get that. Uh, fuzzers uh, were were being run from the QA team, so that, so they were fuzzing security stuff and they were fuzzing anything that could be fuzzed and. In a web browser, quite a lot of things can be filled. So they were finding you know crashing reports, and they were trying to reproduce things, and test cases would come in, and, and they would like try to identify them, and they would you know produce reports about what what you know the real problems are that that allowed management to you know put focus in the right areas, and they would keep an eye on you know kind of long term stats like how often it crashed, how much memory usage was being done, what the performance was like. Uh, so I mean they they provided really fantastic. Services to you know, kind of in conjunction with with all the other teams that, that that were working on it, um. But it was never you know a blocking thing that you know every single change that each of the I don't know three hundred developers that, that that are writing code uh, has to have their step go go through you know some overworked QA team that's trying to manually click buttons as fast as they can.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's what I was trying to convey is um I think a lot of Continuous delivery so far has been let's take our existing pipeline and make it easier and quicker to move between our existing steps. Okay. And it hasn't been about how can we really remix or rethink about.
1: So you are trying to get rid of the QA step.
0: No, I'm just trying to say maybe it can go somewhere else in the process, like the Mozilla. Yeah. yeah. Like how do we how do we remix this model? Right. Right. Like I mean, given that now that it's much cheaper and easier to move between different states, what's the actual order we want our states to be in?
1: We, we talked about this in a, in a very early podcast that the two things that you need to make continuous delivery really work are you need to have testing and need to have a high degree of confidence that, that, that your tests you know work and then the, the, that you need monitoring yep and QA was was kind of a or the the, the the manual people clicking things as a way of releasing software QA was really a crutch for both of those it was a crutch for software that didn't have automated tests so that you would catch the things that, that that you know validate that it still actually worked and it was a crutch for bad monitoring because you 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 had to validate that it worked in advance because you didn't have any monitoring in production
0: also to go further back it was because devops didn't really exist so there was just much more of a wall of a developer right.
1: it, it was literally thrown over the wall yeah to, yeah, yeah. And, and the qa team helped the development team i don't know it, it sort of the ops team was happier the dev team was happier everyone was happier to have this extra manual step even if it meant that software didn't go out for for you know an extra week or whatever
0: yeah so so i think this is an intersection of devops and kind of having a more inclusive tent right, right 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 of okay what we have these different groups how can we make them work together and not the linear fashion we had right, right, right. but in a way that makes sense quicker
1: so i mean one of the things about a qa team um
0: and, and by the way, uh, Fred just walked by and he sent you a lovely gesture.
1: Uh, lovely. So the thing about a QA team, there's, there's lots of ways that people imagine QA teams. And I think a lot of them are sort of pejorative. That the QA team is like the low level, you know, the... the the guys who who didn't get accepted onto the onto the dev team and they're clicking buttons and you know that maybe they're writing some occasional scripts and maybe someday they'll get to be a real developer or, or something along those I, lines.
0: And I disagree. I think QA is. Oh well.
1: yeah, no, I, I don't. I, I'm saying that this is one pejorative view of of QA that lots of companies have. Right? You know, there's. I I know people who started as as QA teams beca- or started on QA teams because. Yeah, you know, they felt everyone has to you know roll through the dirt before they get before they get an opportunity to have the real job. Whereas I think that the if you have that model of QA, then you're missing the opportunity to have QA do real stuff. Yeah, to have, absolutely. To have QA, you know, do, you know, fuzz to to find you know bugs that 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 exist out there to to be able to you know identify broad classes of bugs that 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 you know they can work with the dev team to eliminate. To yeah, to 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 find things that affect people in production, they can have actual useful jobs and not just be like glorified button clickers hoping to one day become developers. Absolutely. the The reason I'm making this point is that I think that the people who there's a strong correlation between people saying, "Oh, you need the QA," you know, step in the way before it goes out, with people who view QA as glorified button pushers. And the reason is, I think they there's that sort of political need to to keep their jobs to keep the the value of the QA department and it comes from having that that control on the journey on, on the code's journey out
0: rather than actual utility yeah and it goes it goes back to what i said of why are we doing this right yeah
1: yeah yeah and so if you, if you shift your understanding of what QA does you automate the the manual stuff you have QA focus on real you know valuable tasks that improve the development process then you're no longer thinking of like you know we need we need to be in the way because th- this preserves our jobs or our power or whatever it is and instead you're thinking you know we're obviously going to keep our jobs and our power because of the vast utility of of the service that we're providing to the, to the rest of the company
0: yeah and, and that, that was the point I was trying to convey in the article is um I think QA is actually much more effective and can do a better job if they're not Doing the drudgery of testing the same darn issue in a separate right. environment for times, which is just kind of mind-numbing. Yeah, but can actually focus on finding real issues in production. Yeah, instead of just you know moving between boxes trying to reproduce phantom issues. Right, which I saw many many times. Like, did you do you ever have these issues with?
1: So I, I once did QA for a phone rollout back in the day when I was, this was 2005 and and uh, iMode was being rolled out in Ireland. This was a terrible idea and everyone knew it, but (laughs) someone somewhere had made it happen. Uh, and so I I was part of a team that was literally like clicking clicking buttons. And, you know, we we had big lists of tests that needed to be run, and then we would run them, and then things would break, and then we would wait for them to be fixed, and then we'd run them again. And it was not only was it drudgery, but it was it was completely ineffective at actually like no people there was a bet going around the QA department as to whether, when it launched, it would actually work. Huh. We, we really had no idea, and we we largely suspected that it wouldn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I, um, Richard Feynman is one of my heroes, mm. and have you ever read about his um, thing about cargo cult science? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so there's this blind belief, uh, you know, that we're pushing stuff through QA, so therefore Right, right,
1: right, right. Yeah, it's it's secure Cause yeah. the, and especially if you're copying it from like, oh, this is how Microsoft does it, you know, this is this is the way it or this is the way it was 10 years ago and, and so this is the way it needs to be without really a, a deep understanding of, of what the process actually is or why the process
0: is there. Yeah, it's it's total cargo cult. It's like, "Oh, yeah. we spend, you know, we push it through staging so it has to be safe." Right. So I do have one contra which I'd like your thoughts on. What do you think of the idea of soak time? And I, and I guess I have my contra to that one too.
1: Um, soak time meaning you put out the code and you kind of you know, wait a while for something to happen?
0: So usually we would kind of soak time as we would just kind of let something sit for two days or so on staging to see if any new issues happened or we thought of anything. But now I think you could really effectively do that with feature flags even on yeah, production.
1: Yeah, I mean, you put it out, you... Turn it on for a couple of projects, and yeah, let it soak. Absolutely,
0: yeah. Yeah. But just the idea—I don't
1: see any reason that that staging is the is the place for that.
0: Yeah, like at Tripit, we would um, when we when we pushed out a new feature, we would wait two days or three days before we'd officially announce it. Okay, basically because we just kind of wanted to. You know, it was live. People could use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we didn't want to do a big PR push while we were waiting for feedback.
1: Well, I, I, I think the idea of connecting the launch of the software with the launch of the the PR campaign is a little bit silly. Oh, completely. There's I, I've seen lots of places where people are desperately, you know, they are launching on Monday morning, right? Yep. So so they're desperately, you know, death running march. the death march over the weekend trying to get the code out, and it's like. Yeah, if you're launching Monday morning, the code should have been out weeks ago. Yep. You know, it should have been turned on weeks ago and yep. just like, you know, let people play around with it and discover it and then you do the launch.
0: Yeah, and then you I mean and
1: Maybe you're only letting the beta group play with it. Maybe maybe you're, you know, testing it dark and, and you just you know, whoever discovers it can try it. And then, like you know, PR doesn't need to happen on the day the code is pushed into production.
0: Yeah, because that's the riskiest day. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the absolute riskiest day because it's just you just pushed it live, and that's when you suddenly find all the actual issues. Yeah. Exactly. All the stuff that you thought you prevented in staging always happens at production.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Bigger of CircleCI, and Edith Harbaugh of LaunchDarkly.
0: To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders.